Hey everyone, welcome to episode 271 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by Tristan Todd, a landscape photographer from Vancouver, British Columbia. I've become friends with Tristan through the Discord channel that he created for landscape photographers. Tristan and I talk all about his transition from the restaurant industry into full-time landscape photography, planning trips, exploration, forest photography, social media, and a lot more. Before we get going, I want to remind listeners of another amazing resource, and that is Nature Photographers Network. Between Tristan's Discord channel and NPN, I rarely spend any time on social media these days because I'm finding my time much more enjoyable on these two platforms, and I think you will too. NPN has some amazing written articles from your peers in the field. We also have a lively critique forum and some awesome Ask Me Anything threads where photographers answer deeply personal questions about their photography. I highly encourage you to join. Just find a link in the show notes to get started. Okay, let's get to the show. Tristan Todd, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah, we've, gosh, I feel like we've exchanged tons of messages on email and lots of back and forth over on Discord and just feel like I already kind of know you. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I'm surprised this is our first time actually uh, talking. Uh, I know. Face to face. Exactly. Except very active I have on a, Discord. <laughs> except I have a camera and you don't, so whatever. Yeah, I'm just kind of lurking in the shadows. So That's right. I have to pretend what you look like. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, just, you know, kicking things off, uh, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm primarily uh, a forest landscape photographer. Uh live in Vancouver, British Columbia. So, I mean, we're surrounded by just tons of natural beauty and, and yeah. I found myself kind of drawn to the forest, so I'm always in there. Um, been shooting for I think ten years now. So I think I started when I was 21, and I'm 31 now. So I don't okay. really like to think about that, but I mean, I wish I was 31. I'm... Yeah, fair enough. The grass is always greener. It's all relative. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, every time I say I'm old, I have someone email me like, "You're young." I'm like, "Whatever." Oh yeah, I know. Like every time it's like, oh, I'm old, but you know, there's, there's always someone older. So exactly. I kind of feel bad for saying it, but <laughs> it is what it is. Exactly. So you're a full-time photographer now, is that right? Yeah. I, so I used to work in the restaurant industry. Um, don't really recommend that, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I left that job in September, 2020. So yeah, coming up on two years somehow, I don't know. Time just disappears. I know, like, I can't. Ever since COVID, I'm like, oh, that was like five years ago. And I was like, no, that was like a year ago. Oh, yeah, like 2019. Like, that feels like, to me, 2019 is one year ago. Like, right. last year. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It's just been such <laughs> a time weird. warp. I feel like everyone has that going on for them. Yep. Well, let's talk about um, your photography origin story and your path to becoming full-time. Uh, what got you into photography and what path did you take to get here? Uh, so for me, I mean, it's probably the same for a lot of people, but kind of mental health sort of thing. Uh, I used to 
I used to always stay up really late, especially working in a restaurant. I, you know, I'd get off work at two thirty or three in the morning. I'd get home. Uh, I wouldn't sleep right away. I'd stay up and I started going for walks uh, at sunrise and uh, just with my phone. And I started taking pictures and I found it was quite relaxing and therapeutic. So eventually just kind of bought my own camera and it went from there. Makes sense. So why, why the forest? Uh, it's, it's funny. It actually took me a long time to really start exploring our forests, even though it's, it's right there. Like it's like 20 minutes from downtown Vancouver. So it probably wasn't until like four, five years ago that I started really exploring those. Mm -hmm. And the the forest is nice. It's just so peaceful. Like it's nothing complex or crazy. It's just a peaceful place to be and very rewarding for photography. Just just so many possibilities and whatnot. Sure. Um, And then how did you go from it being like a relaxing hobby type thing for you to jump into it full time. I mean, that seems like obviously it took you a decade, but um, (laughs) I mean, obviously there's probably a lot of stuff that happened in between, right? Yeah. And it's not something I did lightly. Like I spent, um, I probably spent a few years kind of mentally debating back and forth. Like, do I want to do this? Cause like, I don't know when something's your passion um, might not always be the greatest idea to make it your work or your career, because then you might, start to hate it and uh that did happen to me before with something else so i i took it pretty slow um what does that look like in terms of taking it slow i mean for for me that would that means like i took 10 years to to plan out of (laughs) of my path and for you it's like it sounds like it took you like one year so like what do you mean by that uh it probably took more i'd say it took about three years or so just uh back and forth basically working in the restaurant industry really i really did not enjoy that near the end and like i needed something i needed to get out like get out of that it was uh it was bad it's um i think i learned some good things but i spent way too much time there and uh, i mean i never went to post-secondary or college or whatever and so you know i'm look trying to be realistic about my options and so yeah i just kind of decided to go for it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so are you uh, married, single, kids, no kids? Uh, single. <laughs> and no kids? Nope. Uh, not too keen on that idea, to be honest. Maybe one someday <laughs> with the right person. I don't know. <laughs> that definitely makes it a little bit easier to to make that transition, though, I assume. Yeah, and I'm actually quite fortunate because, well, Vancouver is really expensive. I mean, everywhere is getting crazy expensive now. But sure. And uh, so a while back, years ago, I moved back in with my parents and uh, it's just too hard to make anything work otherwise. So I'm really fortunate to have that. If it wasn't for them, I don't think I would have been able to make that initial leap or it would have taken a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you don't have a $3,000 mortgage or whatever. (laughs) Exactly. No doubt, no doubt. So, what are your what are your eventual goals with your photography and your and your full time business? So, I'd actually really like to make most of my income from prints hmm. at some point. I think um, I think in terms like in long term, I think it's a bit more sustainable, and you run less of a risk of like burning out or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
um, compared to say like even workshops or whatever, you know, you got this pressure to sell, sell out workshops every year and find new places and all that stuff. Find new customers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like uh, workshops aren't cheap and you have to charge a lot to make it worth doing. Like, and so the market for that is, it's probably not huge. <laughs> it is interesting though, because um, I think there's a lot of turnover um, on the student side of things, because I think obviously I'm painting with a big brush here, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of people who end up um, retiring or, mm-hmm. you know, like they got a new hobby or whatever. And so they feel like workshops are the best way to learn, you know, and learn quickly. But I think for a lot of people, they either pick it up pretty quickly after one or two workshops and then they're done doing workshops Yep. or they, you know, they're just done with the hobby. Like it didn't catch. So, so you have a lot of churn I right, think, yeah. in that, in that yeah. um, target market. Yeah. I, I think you're probably right. I know, I think some photographers, they do have like a returning client base. Sure. Like I'm sure Mark Adamus has a lot of repeat clients, but I mean, maybe the exception for that, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, there's people who have entire portfolios that were only taken on Adamus workshops. So. Yes. Yes. I have noticed <laughs> for some reason. And for some reason they never mentioned Mark. <laughs> yeah. But that is interesting, isn't it? It's like... me, is me and Matt Jackish. We did, we were on a trip to the Island, uh, last week or is it two weeks ago and that was one of the things that we got talking about we're like no one ever mentions mark (laughs) right (laughs) i always thought that's kind of funny (laughs) right and um i'm always this is gonna sound terrible i guess but i'm always amazed (laughs) that like people in the industry don't see that like like these people get invited to be speakers and like they teach their own workshop right but like literally their entire portfolio was on a workshop like, yeah, it's interesting how that goes. <laughs> like that I mean, doesn't, got... exa- doesn't exactly make you a <laughs> outstanding photographer in my personal opinion, but not to sound judgy or whatever, but I mean, I feel like that's just being yeah. honest. Yeah, I mean, I've got nothing against these people or or their photos. Like their photos are usually great, but it, it's always struck me as odd <laughs> that yeah, they exactly. don't uh, mention that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, certainly it's not like a... It's not like you would require your students to be like, if you share this online, you have to say that it was on my workshop. But no, at the no, same time, not. you know, if you're going to, um, I guess, and all of your photos are because of that, it seems like you might want to mention it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. It'd definitely be uh, flattering at least. <laughs> or I don't know. Authentic, I guess, is maybe the word I would use. Yeah. 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 You, I know you like that word. It's a good word. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... I I guess I see through a lot of that stuff. It's like, and then I don't know, once you see through it, it's like, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, I know that that's, uh, it really stands out now. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, we can be really bad humans and talk about other people for this entire (laughs) podcast, but I'm trying really hard not to be that, be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. We can, we can move on. (laughs) Yeah. But um, one thing I did want to talk to you about is um, you've kind of made an intentional choice to, to quit international travel and to focus on exploring closer to home and there in Canada. And I'd love for you to talk about why you've made that choice. 
Yeah. Um, when did that happen? I feel like that happened around, I don't know, 2018. I think that's when I started to kind of have my mindset shift on that. It just, I started to realize just how much Canada has to offer. Like you could spend an entire lifetime exploring here. Yeah. And especially like, even like, like I take, I take the bus to most of my hikes and like even locally, there's so many things out there to see if you, you know, put in the effort to go look. So like, I kind of just, I kind of stopped seeing the need to really go overseas, you know, expensive flights and hotels and all that stuff. Like, like I didn't really see the point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'd rather use some of that money for, for things here. Like instead of, going flying somewhere i'd go take like a helicopter flight that kind of thing right i mean i've always had a much deeper appreciation for photographers um who have work that's unique and close to home um because it often part of who that person is as a as a photographer and as a human tends to start shining through in that work because it is so personal and close to home and um you know the feel like the longer you do it, the, uh, the more of that, the more of that kind of personal um, stylization for lack of a better work starts to shine through. Um, I mean, you look at people like Guy Tao, for example, you know, focusing on the Southwest and um, Paul Ziska, he's another yep, example yep. up there in Canada that, you know, focuses on like a, for the most part, you know, pretty close to mm-hmm. home for him. And so um, I personally really think that style is kind of the way to go yeah yeah I, I mean i totally agree and like i think there's a lot of value in getting to know a place as well so mm-hmm. like it's kind of hard to do that if you need to go fly internationally <laughs> right yeah and you know i'm sure there's listeners who are like well i live in kansas or oklahoma or <laughs> yeah. missouri or whatever and i don't think i can do that and I'm not sure that's totally true. I mean, I just the other day we I got a message on our um, Natural Landscape Awards uh, mm-hmm. Instagram page and someone who was a photographer in Oklahoma, and I was like, I'm looking forward to seeing what Oklahoma has yeah. to bring to the table. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'd be curious to see that too. I, I yeah. feel like every every place has its own like beautiful um, landscapes and stuff like that. Right, 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 and. You know, not to bring this into the equation super intentionally, but <laughs> I think there is something to be said in terms of environmental responsibility for trying to stay closer to home, you know, yep. instead of driving 20 hours or, you know, flying all over the world constantly nonstop. And yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd say that's part of it for me as well. So, right. So yeah, definitely not wrong to bring that up. Yeah. And, you know, not, not that there's a, not that there's a right or a wrong to that. It's a personal choice, but mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've had lots of conversations back and forth on discord about NFTs and, yep, yep. and the, that impact. And, but um, I right rightfully so I heard on a recent podcast, I listened to that, you know, if you're teaching workshops in like these exotic international destinations and you have 20 people flying in to meet you there, like that's, objectively uh, far yes. more uh environmentally <laughs> carb yeah it's very it's definitely not carbon neutral no let's just say that so so i think 
that's another argument for trying to stay close to home as well. Yep. Yeah, um, that was uh, definitely part of my struggle with deciding to go full time and deciding to like, you know, do workshops and stuff like that. Because now I'm I'm one of those people that is creating uh, more carbon emissions. You know, people are there's a couple of people that are flying over here to BC to join this workshop. Right. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, I had a I had a student last fall who flew in from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, you know, I think unfortunately that is part of the equation. Yeah, um, it kind of is what it is, I guess. But yeah. I mean, we can still make other decisions to kind of I guess, you know, lower the overall carbon footprint. I know you you mentioned that before. Yeah, I mean, one simple way to do it is to make your groups smaller, right? I mean, you have mm-hmm. fewer people flying, yep. that kind of a thing. Um, you know, I'm sure there's lots of other suggestions people have. I don't want to get into like <laughs> greenwashing or yeah. that stuff, but <laughs> I know that's a popular thing that people like to do is like, oh, well, it's okay because I planted a tree. Yeah, that's always an interesting topic. I guess we don't have to really dig into it, but I know like it's not necessarily a bad thing to plant those trees, but it's like it doesn't really make up for that those carbon emissions. <laughs> right. That tree does not instantly soak up a bunch of carbon whatnot right. from the atmosphere. It's like, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, kind of going back to where we started here, I think the most important aspect of that type of decision, I think, is finding a way to differentiate yourself as an artist through photographing what is personally connected to you local. Yep. And you know, local is a loose definition, right? It could be, could be an hour (laughs) from your house, could be five hours from your house. You know, I think if you look at my work, like 95% of it's within a five, five hour drive radius, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It just depends where you live and what's accessible. So yeah. Right. Right. I mean, you know, and if, Obviously, if you live in, you know, Texas. <laughs> yeah, your range might be maybe a little wider. <laughs> yeah, it's harder. I mean, it's, yep. uh, you live in, I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day. I was like, oh, yeah, you should come up to Colorado. Like, yeah, it's 10 hours just to get out of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah, people always joke about that with Ontario. <laughs> right. You drive for you drive for a whole day and you're you're still in Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it turns out it's a pretty big place. <laughs> yeah. So um what are some other some other uh types of subjects that you like to engage with um uh, close to home? Oh, close to home. Um I mean most of what I do close to home is that forest stuff, but I, I do some street photography or city landscapes as well. Mm-hmm. Not not a ton, but I find it's nice to have something like different, I guess, you know, just to kind of refresh the creative palette. Right. You know, you know some you don't you don't have artistic motivation all the time necessarily. And I find switching things up like that can help a lot. And I saw, I think it was on your website, you have like a video and you're like hiking through glaciers and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm not sure that's necessarily close to home because that's a 10 hour drive and then a helicopter flight. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> it's still in British Columbia, but uh, BC's big. So, right, 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 right. But yeah, um, I mean, there's there's lots of mountains locally and 
uh, you know, you can drive for an hour or two and go hike up into the Alpine and, and it's pretty awesome. So yeah. I do like to do that too. We, we did a podcast with another, um, I think his name is Jess Finley. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And it's um, amazing. Yeah. And he does a lot of stuff up way up in the, yeah. you know, the high peaks that are close to Vancouver. <laughs> I think it's just West of Vancouver. West of Vancouver. I could be wrong. Uh, well, West of Vancouver is the ocean. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm obviously <laughs> a dumb American, so. I mean, he, I know he he does stuff in the Canadian Cascades. Uh, he's done stuff in the local Coast Mountains. Oh, yeah, maybe that's um, just at the Coast Mountains. Yeah. Yeah, those look amazing. Oh, yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff here. Yeah, and the, the, like it's super close. Yeah, the the Coast Mountains, it's uh it's like it's the West Coast equivalent of the Rockies basically. Just right. uh, it's less accessible as you f- go farther north. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm just looking at it on on Google right now yeah. and there's all kinds of awesome stuff up there. Oh yeah, I I'm all about the Coast Mountains. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Cool. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, workshops for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I want to talk a little bit about kind of your style of teaching. So yep. I think in some previous chats we've had, you kind of have like more of a unique approach to teaching workshops. And I'd love to hear kind of about this 90, 50, 10 approach that you have. Yeah. So that's, this one's interesting because I picked it up in the restaurant industry. So that's that's what I said earlier. Like I don't totally regret working that uh, job because I, I I definitely learned a lot of different things and whatnot. But yeah. So the idea behind that is to give someone the skills that they need to say take a photo or do whatever you're training them on. Um, because some workshops out there, it's more just like a like a literal tour, like. You go to one spot, everyone plops down the tripods, takes the same photo, you know, and you move on. And um, maybe some people, that's what they want. Uh, But I don't don't think that's necessarily a great way to learn because you're not equipping them with the skills they need. Right. So, yeah. (laughs) I remember one time I was, (laughs) uh, well, I've been to Iceland once and Mm -hmm. I went to a very popular waterfall and I wasn't even there to photograph it. I was just checking it out. Mm-hmm. And there was a workshop leader there. And he was literally yelling out <laughs> commands to his students like, oh, F11, 160th. Like he's just yelling oh, settings out. And you're like, <laughs> oh, oh my God, dude. Yeah, Nobody, I'm not really down That's not that. how you learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... So basically the idea behind 90, 50, 10. So it's, it's nine. So you do... When you first start teaching them, you teach them not just why, you teach them how and everything, and you do most of the work. And then as, you know, as the lesson goes on, you split it more 50-50. And then towards the end, um, you get them to do most of the work. And, you you know, you like you ask them questions and almost try to get them to teach you. And if they can do that, that means they've learned, like they've learned it. Right. And, um, and so far it's been really good. I've done a few like single day workshops in the forest and that's the approach I take. And by the end of each lesson, like they're taking these awesome shots they've come up with on their own. I didn't have to tell them what to do. And, um, I step in and maybe like give a bit of critique, but yeah, 
and I'll ask them questions, like I said. How does that style work with someone who's perhaps, you know, more experienced, but um, just wants to pick up a little bit of kind of your flavor of how you make images? Uh, I'm not actually sure I have the answer to that yet, um, just because I am so new to workshops. But um, maybe that's probably something that'll come up this summer when Blake and I do our trip. Um, I know there's, I think a couple of the photographers on there are fairly experienced. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how much of like the uh, kind of lost for words, how different that is. Yeah, right. I mean, I've... I have limited experience teaching workshops. I found the larger the group is, the harder it is to um, make what you're going to say relevant to everyone. Yeah, yeah. So then it's like you, what I found worked was you kind of start off with a general kind of overview of what you would look for in that type of environment or whatever and some different Mm -hmm. ideas of what to look for and how to approach the scene. And then you let people kind of break off on their own and then you touch in with each person and, you know, each person's going to have a different place where they're at in terms of mm-hmm. their learning yep. curve. So I think that's where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, we're going to skip to the 50 or we're going to skip to the 10 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think that sounds about probably how it's going to go. That makes sense. And, uh, what, what do you consider a big group? I'm curious. I mean, geez, that's a great question. 10, 15. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, I was gonna. That sounds a uh, huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was at um, out of Yosemite. Um, uh, okay. so, so typically, yeah. like I did one, you get paired up with another instructor usually. Yeah. So you would have like fifteen people, and then you would go out into this big meadow, mm-hmm. and then you know, like I, I did one with Alex Noriega, so like he was focusing mm-hmm. on this tree section, and I was focusing more on like, hey, let's take a walk over to this area and see what we can find, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I think that's what's cool about co co leading is you know some people just need someone different, you know, someone who has a different perspective or. Oh yeah, like I don't think I'd want to do a group workshop solo. Like, I'd, yeah, that doesn't really interest me very much. <laughs> like maybe like three or four people would be okay, but yeah, I think anything more than that, it would just be too much. Oh yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I would kind of question what they're actually getting out of it. If it's yep. gets that big. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's uh, kind of along those lines. I mean, this is related to workshops, but more in terms of your personal approach to your own photography. Mm-hmm. Um, would love to talk a little bit about pl- trip planning versus shot planning and kind of what's your approach to each and which do you prefer and why? Yeah, that that's a good question. Um, I know when I tell people that I love planning trips, they tend to assume that I also like to plan out my shots and uh, they're usually surprised when I, when I say no, no, I, I hate planning actual individual shots. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess for me, part of the whole thing is staying open-minded to possibilities, you know, and when you try to set up yourself with some expectations, you know, like you've got this one shot that you really, really want to get and, but then what if you don't get it, you know, and what if you're so focused on that shot that you're missing out on something even better? And yeah, I just, that's kind of my whole approach to shooting. I just, I just shoot that. Like I just follow the light, you know, just (laughs) whatever works with the light works with me. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a great approach. I mean, 
I get that question a lot around trip planning. Like, how do you plan your trips out? And like, it's not for me, it's not that complicated. It's like, no, I look at a map and I'm like, that looks like a fun area. Uh, Let's go there. And, (laughs) um, you know, and once you get there, then it's about being open to what you discover and find. And, um, you know, half the fun for me is just exploring the place that you've Oh, exactly. Never been to before. Maybe you've same here. Or if you've been there before, maybe it's like, okay, how can I get a different take on it than I did last time? Yep. Um, you know, I, I, I personally love not planning any shots at all. Like, oh yeah, it's it's the way to go. (laughs) But I used to like uh, that was probably probably from like twenty thirteen to fifteen. Yep. That's all I did was plan shots. Like I'm going to drive to that spot. I'm going to hike to that overlook and I'm going to get that shot. Yeah. I feel like there's like some sort of unspoken expectation in landscape photography that everyone has to plan out these shots like super meticulously. And I don't know. And I don't, I don't really find the, uh, so much interest in that. I mean, obviously there is a type of photo where planning it out is important like yeah oh yeah i mean like i'm thinking of like the like josh cripps has that really awesome um eclipse lunar eclipse photo Mm -hmm. or whatever where it's like behind a camel you know yeah yeah that took some planning (laughs) you know oh yeah like i'm not uh i'm not like a hundred percent opposed to planning shots but definitely for the majority of my work it's totally unplanned and it kind of goes into my other thing where you know where i like to really get familiar with the places i shoot at so you know sometimes i'll be water around around the forest and i see something that looks cool but the light just doesn't work so i, I just keep it in mind for another day when the light would work right that, yeah that mark kind of it yeah. yeah mark it on your gaia gps and be like come yep. back come back to this spot at sunset or yeah exactly you know, might look good in diffuse light at middle of the day or, you know, yep. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do a lot of that, especially, um, one of my favorite things to do if I go to a place I've never been before is like, I'll just hike without my camera. Right. But yeah. I'll have my phone, um, so that I can, you know, use, I have the, I don't know, what is this? Like the iPhone 11 or something. It's got the three lenses. Oh so yeah. Like, those things have crazy good cameras. But, you know, the cool thing I like about it is you've got the wide angle, which is like, I think it's around 16 mil equivalent. Mm-hmm. You've got the the main one, which is around 24 mil. And then you've got the the zoom, which is like 50 mil-ish. Yep. So you can kind of like pre-visualize some compositions just with your phone. Um, but I like to just walk around with my phone, you know, hike maybe like two or three or four miles, mm-hmm. mark off some spots that look interesting or I found something really cool. Um, just to give me some ideas without my camera. Yeah. With, you know, zero pressure. Yeah, exactly. I like that approach. And then just come back, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I guess because even if you do bring your camera to take test shots, you might end up uh, distracting yourself and you might get stuck on one certain comp or whatever. With with the phone, you just kind of, you can just kind of do your thing. (laughs) Yeah, there's, I mean, there's there's no quote unquote risk or, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you're just um, trying it out to see if it's going to work or not. Yep. Yeah, no pressure. Um, yeah, exactly. What are some of your approaches to actually trip planning? Uh, that's a fun one. Uh, Google Earth is probably the first uh, part of that process, I guess. 
Um, I've spent way too much time zooming around uh, Western Canada. (laughs) Like, I feel like I've been, I've seen just so many places on there. It's ridiculous. And uh, yes, you know, so go on Google Earth, you find some cool looking mountain pass or mountain peak or whatever. And then, then I just kind of figure out, okay, how do I get there? (laughs) Uh, Sometimes actually that's probably easier said than done most of the time because most of BC's coast mountains are horribly inaccessible. (laughs) Right. Right. Like that, that's why I I do helicopters uh, occasionally. It's it's just, otherwise you just really can't get there. (laughs) I, I don't know if you've listened to that, that new podcast that Cody Schultz and Ben Horn put out. I it's called Creative Banter, but uh, I listened to two episodes today while I was mowing my lawn. But um, <laughs> what I thought was interesting, one of the things they talked about was in the first episode, they talked a little bit about this idea of how far away are you from a road? With from oh, your... okay, I've heard I've heard someone talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably on the Discord, but um, yeah. I thought that I thought it was a really interesting question because when I asked, you know, if you think about your favorite photos, how far away are you from the road and is that important or not? Because especially as landscape photographers, I think at least for me, like a big part of it is like the adventure and the discovery and, um, you know, being in the wilderness and all of that. And so there's kind of this implied thing that you're not close to a road. right? Yeah, that is definitely definitely implied in most uh, landscape photos you know like you could have something taken on the roadside but the viewer doesn't know that if you don't say anything and like they they might just assume it's some crazy (laughs) remote place (laughs) yeah so i'd be be curious to hear your thoughts on this um do you Mm -hmm. place any value on like how wild the location is that you photograph the image or does that like Mm -hmm. does that matter to you at all not really. I guess not really. Um, uh, how would I say? I mean, like, there's some forest photos I've taken that are technically close to roads, uh, mm-hmm. like maybe only 10 kilometers or 5 kilometers from a road, but uh, but it and might that's... be in a place where there's no trails. And, like, I don't know. With the forest, it can be a bit different because, you know, you you go off somewhere and... It like it can take a lot of work to go just one kilometer or whatever. <laughs> right, deadfall and yeah. Like, oh, geez, like, yeah. even when there's a trail, sometimes oh man, right? The place, <laughs> yeah, you know, the the valley that Matt Jackish and I explored uh, a week a bit ago on the island. Oh my god, that that was the toughest forest hike I've ever done, and technically it was a trail. <laughs> oh, I've I've had a few of those here in Colorado for sure. Oh man. Yeah, like I remember one I did, it was like this. I did like a little video with my phone. I was like, this is the trail, you know, and it's like trees are falling everywhere and like you can't even see a trail. It's like, this is a sweet trail, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, that that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah. But I would say uh, for me, there is value when it comes to the, like to the exploration side of things. Like if it's if it's harder to get to, you know, it's a bit more rewarding to explore. Yeah, um, but artistically, I'd say probably not. So I think this is an interesting question because um, I've actually put a lot of thought into it over the over the years. Because I and I think it was way back on like my episode I did with Aaron Bobnick and Alex Nail, mm-hmm. 
where it was suggested and accurately so i think by aaron that like the amount of physical effort that's required to get a photo is is completely irrelevant to the its artistic qualities and i totally yep. agree with that 100% yep. however when i think about my own work and how i personally want to differentiate myself yeah being really far into the wilderness and in places that most people don't go it for one i'm eliminating all of civilization and all those distractions <laughs> right there's you know yeah, 100% you're purely in the wilderness like it's it's you and your camera and the landscape and you know it's up to you to make something of whatever you find in that place mm-hmm. which you can still do on the side of the road i totally get that but it's it's different it's different yeah you know when you don't have cars whizzing by yeah you don't have cars <laughs> or maybe for me it's people um as a big part of it is yep, you know yep. people are super distracting to me oh um, I, I agree that's why i don't really hike on weekends <laughs> So part of it for me, it's not necessarily the fact that it was hard to get to, but there is like an element of, I don't know, pride, I guess mm-hmm. like it, you mm-hmm. could call it. Yeah. You know, it's like um, that that helps, I guess I could say, I would say it helps energize me creatively. Like, yeah, man, yeah. I'm, I'm in this amazing place that probably hardly anyone else has been to before. And now it's up to me to make something of it. You know? Yeah, it can definitely be motivating in that kind of way. And it can, I would say, like strengthen your own connection to your own work. Right. Too, which is nice. Um, I had something else what I was, that I was going to say, but I'm blanking. So I might remember it in a few minutes. I might not. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's an interesting one, though, because um, obviously there's no right or wrong answer to the question. Mm-hmm. But I found myself disagreeing quite a bit with what they were saying <laughs> just from my own personal experience like when i'm in a place uh like for example i went to death valley for the first time in january and, and you yep. know everyone goes to yep. mesquite dunes and yes they do the first thing i did is like i'm hiking as far as i can away from people <laughs> nice. like even if there's great compositions right here i yeah like i need to be by myself to experience this place the way I want to experience <laughs> it so that it can show, th- show through in my photos, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you just create a ton of work for yourself cause you're walking in the sand and then you have to hike back in the dark and blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> yep. like that was for me, that's like a necessary component for me to get into the creative headspace. Yeah. I can understand that. It's almost, uh, yeah. It's like your own form of meditation in a way, kind of, <laughs> yeah yeah kind of i mean it's for or or maybe it's just one of those things that's just become so ingrained in my own process that mm-hmm. yeah yeah that too you know like even when i'm doing my colorado fall color trips you know there's probably awesome compositions right next to the road yeah yep. but for me to enjoy the experience and be challenged enough i guess i, mm-hmm. I need to hike yeah i can i can understand that it's uh it's interesting how that works. Yeah. So not for you though? Uh not necessarily. It's I'd say the main thing is people. Like yeah. you said, if there's a lot of people around, it like ruins my experience. <laughs> like yes. and um I remember last September, uh me and some friends, we went to the Rockies and of course we, we ended up at Maureen Lake. <laughs> I didn't even take out my camera. Right. There, 
like I I couldn't feel it. Like um, with that many people around, I just didn't really feel a connection to the landscape. Yes, and um, that's another thing. So like like I said, I kind of avoid hiking on weekends due to that reason. And like if it's pouring rain, I'll go I'll go hike in the forest. Then I mean, you get some atmosphere and there's less people. It's it's win win. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of times it comes up on this podcast, but also in online articles and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the yeah. whole idea of icons and uh, my, yes, <laughs> my issue is with icons is not the fact that they're icons. It's the fact that it's almost a guarantee that you're going to see or encounter a ton of people, yep. which then just makes it really hard for me to enjoy the experience. Yeah, which exactly. Is, which yeah. is why I'm there. Like I want, yep. You know, like <laughs> I'm not a photographer so that I can become a millionaire. Like I'm a photographer because I enjoy it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, and it, yeah, then that's definitely a big part of why I like to, you know, go explore new places. Like BC is so big, um, and like there's so many options for places where you're not gonna run into people. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's. Um, I want to talk more about forest photography and pick your brain a little bit. Um, Cause I, you know, I, I love forest photography. I've been doing more and more of it over the last probably five or six years. Um, But I've, I've found it, you know, it's, I'm sure most people would agree with this, that it's, it's kind of like a masterclass in composition and patience (laughs) and, you know, like it's tough. (laughs) It's really hard, you know? So like, what do you like Uh, about it? Well, it's funny. Like, it's kind of like a puzzle uh, when you're out there, you know, you're, you're trying to fit all the pieces together. And like, um, that's why I kind of like using flexible zoom lenses, like uh, the 24 to 200. Mm-hmm. It's probably my favorite lens um, just because it lets you, uh, I guess, play around with the pieces so easily. But it's kind of funny that I, uh, I like it for those reasons. Cause I hate actual puzzles. <laughs> My grandma, my grandma loves puzzles. I, I hate them. Like I, I run out of patience, but stick me in the forest. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, something satisfi- satisfying about finding um, ways to kind of simplify the scene and bring something together, you know, find shapes and lines yeah. and different contrasts and whatnot. How, how often do you find yourself like trying to work a scene and you're just like, I cannot make sense of this stupid scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes it happens, but I find what happens the most, and I think a lot of forest photographers will agree with me, is like you find this one, you find a, a scene and it looks amazing and you find a, a nice comp, but there's one asshole tree like somewhere right. in the frame just ruining the entire shot. <laughs> or a log or... Yes, there's always... yeah. I don't, I find that happens the most. <laughs> yeah. we. My friend Kane and I like in the fall, a lot of times we'll just take hikes through the Aspen forest, like in, not, not on a trail, just yep. let's just hike through that forest and see what yeah. we can find. <laughs> and always, 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 always you come up to this really nice scene. Like, Oh, look at how evenly nice these trees are spaced. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's that stupid dead tree right there. <laughs> ruining the shot. Yeah, dude. Uh, I swear. Like, <laughs> I don't know why or what it is, but I know there is again, back to to me and Matt's trip the other week, (laughs) we we both came across the scene. We're like, Oh, this is so nice. And then I, we stopped and kind of looked at it. I'm like, I'm like, dude, there's an asshole tree right there. It's not going (laughs) to work. 
it's like that. Oh, it's like fuck. It's not gonna work. It's like that with waterfalls too. Like there's always oh, like yeah, a dude. log or something that's oh, like that's... just being a jerk. Those logs are a nightmare. Yeah, and they just ruin your comp. It's like everything flows <laughs> perfectly except oh, there's a log right in the middle of my comp. Yep, I know. Yeah, yeah, and so then, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are what are some of your, I guess, tips and tricks for how to how to maximize your ability to to capture an interesting composition in the forest? Uh, so I have purposely avoid cloudy days. I, I personally think cloudy days are the worst for the forest. Um, interesting, because everything the light is just too even and lacking contrast. Uh, I find. My favorite is either in the rain. Uh, that might be a bit of an exception because our forests are in the mountains. And so if there's rain, there's probably low clouds making mist. Um, but I love like sunny or partly cloudy. Uh, mm. You can use the, you can use that light to your advantage. You know, you can find like a shadowed foreground. Uh, well, actually I think it's easier the other way around to find, find like a nice, bright background and then kind of see if you can find the foreground that's in the shadow and that that automatically kind of you know creates some visual contrast and interest and mm-hmm. yeah and I think, some three-dimensionality to yeah, it yeah exactly like you don't need fog to create depth so. oh really <laughs> i mean i know oh, i love fog and the <laughs> amount of times i i say i'm like oh i wish it was foggy right now <laughs> right yeah, I did a trip to the Redwoods last summer, and I think we had like one morning of sort of fog. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, but it was it was fine though because it you know it forced forced me to yep just be creative and find lots of jerk trees. Yeah, know? yeah, a lot of jerk trees out there. <laughs> no, but it, that's that's the fun in it, right? Like it's trying oh, to unlock exactly. trying to unlock that puzzle. Yeah, and that's that's why I like the forest so much. Like uh, there are just so many possibilities, uh, and when light is always changing, you know, minute to minute, day to day, or whatever. Um, just you, you, just especially when you keep going back, um, you really get to experience the full, uh, the full breadth of what it has to offer. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on sunny days. Like you can get those nice backlit leaves oh or, yeah i, I yeah. love it yeah that, that can be a, a ton of fun you know trying to trying to piece together like a like mm-hmm. some kind of line or pattern um with the yep. backlit leaves and trunks and you know you've got shaded areas in the foreground like you were saying so it's it's fun yeah I mean, oh yeah i mean you can it's, do it like all great. day long and come away with nothing <laughs> hey. or you can come up with like five amazing images yep yeah you never really know what you're gonna get <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. What's your um, what's your hit rate? Oh, geez, <laughs> I can't imagine that's very high. Right. Uh, I mean, it depends. Uh, I've had a f- couple. I've had a few hikes in the forest here where I'll come away with like five portfolio shots, but that's when the conditions are like you know perfect, and you spend the whole like whatever eight hours out there. Right. And. Uh, but I mean, sometimes you spend all day out there and you don't get a single shot. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. And psychologically, does that impact you at all? Or do you just know that that's part of the game? Uh, it doesn't really bug me too much. And part of that is because I 
like I said earlier, I try not to plan shots. You know, I, I don't set those expectations. Um, you know, I, I do try to go out when the, I think the light might do some good things that kind of helps. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. I, Ultimately um, it's just nice to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I used to have a real problem with, you know, getting in my own head with, you know, if, if I didn't find something that worked or whatever. And now it's, you know, if I don't have a day that I make a single good photo, it's, it's all good, man. Yes. It's, it's, no big deal. That's the way it goes. Yeah. It's just part of it's Yeah. You gotta take take those with, with the days where you get like fifty really good images, you know. So it's, it's just, just part of uh landscape photography, you know, you you're at the mercy of the elements. <laughs> yeah, which I suppose is somewhat easy to say for you like you work you don't have a job anymore yeah exactly (laughs) yeah i know i it's definitely different if your time is more limited or like you have to drive a few hours to get somewhere nice so yeah Yeah. uh, i'm definitely fortunate here you know i can go hop on a bus and be in a beautiful forest (laughs) yeah with that being said though i i mean even when i do trips or i'm traveling quite a bit it you know, I still have the same mentality and I find that it, yep. uh, it really does help to have that attitude of just, I'm going to have a good time. And if I get a good photo, cool. If I don't also cool. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's how I am too. Even, even the places that aren't near home. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise I think it's real easy to get burnt out and just not oh, enjoy it. To- oh, totally. Like, uh, yeah. If you're putting that pressure on yourself, um, yeah, I don't think that's the greatest thing to do. Yeah. Um, but on this topic, like, uh, that's the reason when I go somewhere, like, you know, like one of these trips I've planned, and that's usually why I tried to do like at least five days, like ideally six or seven. Um, that way you'll probably get something. But I mean, it's still not guaranteed, but brings up your chances. Oh, for sure. Especially mm-hmm. if you're in the same location. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're minimizing your travel. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I mean, I've been on trips where it's like two or three days in, you feel completely <laughs> satisfied with what you've gotten already. Yeah. And it's kind of a nice relief because it's like, I have, I whatever I find <laughs> is cool now. Like, I don't, it's all good. Yeah, it's uh, the opposite of that definitely happened uh, last year. Uh, the place uh, it's the place where we're doing the workshop and it's uh, it's the place in the video on my homepage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like the entire trip. It was sunny. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and uh, we didn't really get good light until like the last night, the last couple nights. And you know, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> and that was, yeah, that was a seven day, seven days of camping in there. Yeah. And you know, Obviously, certain subjects that you photograph or especially like wide angle scenes or big grand scenes, like there is there is such a thing as like you need certain conditions for those scenes to work well. Um, But uh, I don't I don't know if this is what your experience has been, because I've I've had two fall trips in a row, 2019 and 2020, where Mm -hmm. there was not a single cloud in the sky for 14 days <laughs> oh damn um but it super forced me to get really creative with um other types of images like mm-hmm. much more intimate type work or you know like oh look i found these frozen leaves in a little pond in the shade um yep 
So I don't know if like, is that I, something that you do as well as try to take advantage of those situations or yeah, just, so I'm definitely similar. Um, I don't think I'm very good at the intimate shots, but like, um, I do agree with the whole, there's no such thing as bad light kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's bad light for certain types of shots or certain scenes, but I do believe there's always something to be found with that works with the, the light at hand. Totally. Um, one of the things I've started doing just because of those fall trips, where there's, <laughs> you know, that's insane. 16 hours days. of sun. Jeez, but, dude. Um, you know, I started carrying around a little uh, diffuser. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. I can like, so if I found something interesting that, you know, might benefit from some shade, uh-huh. I just put that diffuser up. And... <laughs> I love it. And yeah. I, I think, uh, I think we need to get a picture of this so that way you can go on comp stops. <laughs> yeah, no such thing as bad light. Dude, he'd love that. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well let's uh let's shift over to talking a little bit about uh social media. Um Yes, yes, speaking of comp stops. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, I I think like like you, many of us have like a love hate relationship with social media and I'd like you to tell us a little bit about kind of your kind of where you're at in terms of social yeah. media. Yeah. That's it's definitely not a unique point of view. I feel like everybody hates and loves it. So, uh, um, I mean, I've made, I've made a lot of good friends because of Instagram, like mm-hmm. Matt Jackish, Blake Randall, Arpan Das, and more other photographers too. And like, um, it's it's kind of what helped me get into landscape photography in the first place um Mm -hmm. uh you know i started to take i started taking those pictures with my phone and then then my friend's like oh you should go on instagram so i'm like yeah okay that's a good idea (laughs) and then that it kind of exposed me to the whole world of like actual landscape photography and so like that's definitely the good side of it you know um yeah connecting with other people yeah and kind of that's I used to never go hiking and stuff. I just sit at home and play video games all day. (laughs) So like it it got me that's like social media helped me get outside and become active. So like, that's great. But I mean, I, then it's got its bad sides too. And I'm sure we're all pretty familiar with that. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's different for everyone though. Um, you know, we have, you know, I know we're going to talk a little bit about this, but, uh, there was a huge long conversation, I think last night um, or maybe the night before on discord mm-hmm. about um, like people have all these tips and tricks for limiting their time on social media. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, they did come up last night. And I was, I just, cause, cause I'm always hearing people like I have to force myself to like, I delete all the apps from my phone and, uh-huh. and I'm just like, I, I can exercise a little bit of restraint. Like, on myself, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah but um I'm curious kind of what how does that work for you <laughs> uh yeah you're definitely right that's different for everybody um some people they don't really have to try they can just not look uh but i know for myself like i do have that urge to check it pretty often and like you mm-hmm. kind of have to I, like i gotta make myself or i gotta train myself to kind of ignore that and um like I, I did uninstall twitter because of that like it was just uh, I looked at it way too much. Uh, hmm. Twitter is just such a time sink if you get into it. 
Can be. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I have. I think I've gotten better. It's but yeah, no, it's definitely different for everybody. How do, how does um, how does your use of social media uh, impact your mental health and or um, your approach to photography? Uh, I would say the mental health part is if I use it too much, it, that's where it can kind of have a negative impact. Um, I am, I'm a very introverted person. So I find that extends to my online interactions. Um, like if I'm like, I, I can't reply to all my messages and comments. Like it, if I did that, I would burn out and become pretty miserable. So like, he, just, I guess, finding that balance, you know, I might reply to a few messages or whatever, and rest of the comments, I'll just hit the like button. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. 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 What, I, what I found is it depends on how I engage with right. social media. Yes. Like, yeah, that, that is, that's important too. Um, I've, I don't know about you, you, but sometimes I'll fall into these traps where you're scrolling through some and Oh. Your your brain automatically just jumps to the negative for some reason, like mm-hmm. like oh that's photo sucks or like <laughs> you know like you just I don't know maybe I'm unique in that <laughs> regard but like but what I found is if I try to just focus on the positive like oh mm-hmm. I like this about that post or oh you know like just trying to stay positive with yep. kind of my own yep. ber- thinking about it it keeps my mood much better most of the time I find my mood goes into the toilet when I'm. Girl on social media and like my initial reaction is negative so i just have to that's when i know i'm like oh time to put it away yeah like you if it helps when you uh have intention i guess Um, yeah like if you go on there it's like oh i want to look i want to find something that i like you know and i've actually found through instagram i found some pretty amazing photographers that i had no idea about and it's like oh wow this is awesome and yeah that, that that's always cool when that happens and i think that's a, a good way to use it yep yep like um and it always feels better when you're you know a lot of people like to do like that thing where they'll share the work of other people in their stories or whatever mm-hmm. and yep i've i've done that a few times like if I'm in a really good mood, but I find that like it makes you have you are even in a better mood because you're. Oh you know, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so uh, I think that intention is important. Like, if your mm-hmm. goal of social media yep. is to positively engage with others, you're probably going to have a pretty good experience. Yeah, exactly. And the you know that's that's where the term doom scrolling comes from. You know, right. people are, <laughs> they open up Reddit or Facebook and they just they keep scrolling and they keep scrolling and they read like bad news and they get in a bad mood and then they keep reading more and more. And yeah, right. (laughs) That's what you want to avoid. Then you're just angry and mad at the world. Yeah, And that's definitely, I think that's probably one of the worst parts about social media. Like it's, it's made a lot of people miserable and (laughs) polarized people and stuff like just for the sake of increasing eyeball time. It's crazy. Yeah. A lot of people, I mean, I think you asked me before we started recording, like, how do you have time to do everything you do? It's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like what I found is if I keep myself busy, as busy as I can, then I don't have time to do that stuff, To yep. which then yep. negatively affects my mood. So mm-hmm. part of that's like um, intentional. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, it's I do find it is the worst. Like if I'm bored and then I go on social media, that's usually yes. doesn't work out 
So right. it's good to find things to occupy your time uh, more constructively, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's much easier. It's much more healthy to create than to critique. Cons- yeah, or consume or whatever. Yeah. yeah, consume is a good word. Maybe, um, I mean, consume is bad, but like even worse is like re- react, strongly react. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's where we tend to get in trouble, <laughs> you know. Yes, and definitely a lot of social media kind of feeds off negative reactions. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, it's easy too because it's all written word and there's typically not a lot of context. Like you can't see yep. people's facial expressions or their tone of voice. or So for whatever reason, people tend to just assume that mm-hmm. it's like negative when it might not be. And Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. uh, the way it is. <laughs> well, conversely, <laughs> conversely, let's talk about uh, your Discord channel, Landscape Photographers Worldwide. We've yeah. had a couple episodes now where we've talked about it with um, Ben Mays and Devin Rogers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you're one of the creators of the Discord channel, and I would you know, love for you to talk about what is it and why did you start it and what are your goals for it? Uh, so, I mean, we pretty much already covered the why. It's uh, all those negatives of social media is uh, what kind of pushed me to make that community. Um, you know, we wanted to have a, a place where you could just talk landscape photography and share your images without all those algorithms and that pressure. And uh, so, yeah, I just I found a. I just asked around if anyone wanted to kind of create this thing with me and got a few people and it's definitely been more popular, more popular than I thought it would be. Like, I think we're just about at a thousand members, which is awesome. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, you probably have better data (laughs) than I do, but (laughs) it seems like there's probably a good contingent of around 30 to 40 people who are consistently very active. Yeah. It's about 60 right now. 60. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And And it's it's been slowly increasing over time, which is, which is awesome. One of the, um, I mean, I obviously I really enjoy it because I think, what did you say? I was like the ninth most active member. I don't know. I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah. You're up on that top 10 leaderboard. (laughs) Yeah. But um, I mean, it doesn't take a ton of my time, honestly, um, which is nice. And also I think one of the challenges that people who have never been in discord before find with that format is that it's, just a long scrolling conversation. Yeah. But I find like what's interesting about it is, you know, at least from like Monday through Thursday ish, (laughs) there's typically going to be like five to 10 people who are active at any given time of the day. Yep. And if you want to just like, Hey, did anyone see this YouTube video or has anyone (laughs) seen like, check out the the work of this person. And, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, you uh, engage with those five or six people, and then you move on with your day. Um, so it's um, – I don't think – I think the key is to, like, engage when you want or when you see something interesting, but it's yeah, not exactly. like you're tied that's, to your keyboard. Yeah, that's that's the idea, basically. It's very low pressure. And, uh, and, and like you said, uh, sharing or being like, oh, look at this this photograph. Like, this, I love this. Like – I think that's probably one of my favorite parts about the community is that we were able to create places like that where people can share what inspires what inspires them and uh, and I know it's good to have those positive things like we were kind of talking about earlier. 
Yeah, and it's not, I mean, it's to be fair, psyched. it's also not all just puppy dogs and ice cream. Like, there's yeah, yeah, healthy exactly. debate and, like, people can share their opinions, but it's yep. typically done, like, super civil and lots yeah, of health, I, healthy discourse. And I don't think we've ever had issues with people getting upset, so that's uh, good. <laughs> yeah, or, like, if they are, it's usually like, hey, maybe we should tone it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, there's been a couple times, yeah, but, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. And uh and what what are you, what are some of the things that you're hoping to do with the channel? Uh, god, I had like this big like list of things all planned out and it's like uh I I this is why I asked you earlier. I'm like, how do you do all all these? How do you juggle all these things? It's like I cannot. <laughs> so like I it's been a bit tough to I guess implement uh many of the ideas that we have when I'm trying to juggle creating my own photography business and actually that's the same thing with ben mays like he's in the same uh situation he's he's got his business to work on so right it's definitely a little bit tricky but i think it'd be pretty cool because discord's got some really good um audio and video features for streaming Mm -hmm. and uh one thing that we thought would be really cool is to basically let people host their own you know like seminars or whatever so like you could Mm. say Say somebody wanted to teach like a, a post processing class, um, they could do that, and they could charge a fee, and then um, yeah, everyone that pays gets access, and the photographer kind of they've got access to this like uh, I guess audience, and they can you know it supports them. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I've been trying to urge Eric Bennett <clears throat> to join because it seems because they're doing. Been... Yeah, I've been wanting someone to do that. <laughs> because, I mean, like, it seems like every other week or more, like, they're bringing up his critique sessions that he does yeah. with other photographers. And, I mean, it's... Yeah, that's, I oh, mean, it's great. To me, it's like a... It's a really awesome community of like-minded people who love nature and landscape photography. Mm-hmm. And they're they're at all levels of, of the craft. You know, there's people who have only been doing it a couple of years. Yep. Or maybe even a couple of months all the way to people who've been doing it for like 20, 30 years. Yep. And, um, and it's super friendly. Um, and I mean, just full disclosure, like a lot of the people on that <laughs> channel, like support my podcast too, which is really cool. Um, yeah, and- I know. Like, yeah, when you talked about it with Ben Mays, we got a lot of people joining. It was awesome. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I think it's a it's but a cool place to that, hang yeah. out, you know. Yep. Yeah, I know. I'm. I've definitely mentioned it to Eric a few times. All right. Well, I have um two more questions for you, um, and they're okay. related. And so the second question is going to be about who you recommend for the podcast. But the first question is just in general, who is inspiring you right now? Oh, that's a good question. Um. Mm. Right now, I, I feel like it always changes right. for the most part. It's, uh, I mean, obviously, Mark Adamus has always been a huge inspiration for me. Uh, not necessarily just because of the art, but what he does to right. create his art. He's a like, uh, he's an exploration freak show. Oh yeah, his his dedication is just insane. Like, yeah. uh, there's there's not a lot of people like that, and I think it's really inspiring. Um, uh, there was another guy like that. He he's a painter, uh, Corey Trepanier. Huh. He unfortunately he passed away from cancer. That was a few months ago. He was only in his early fifties. It was really sad. But 
he's probably my biggest artistic inspiration these days. Uh, his his landscape paintings are just just something else, like like the best I've ever seen. Hmm. And he explores these unknown places that no one goes to, like far northern Canada and all that kind of stuff. And he brings his painting gear with him. And uh, interesting, yeah, serious dedication and serious artistic talent and. He's been, yeah, definitely been a big inspiration. Um, but other photographers, I mean, I feel like I'm always being inspired by someone, you know, on a daily basis. You know, someone will post a nice picture and it's like, oh, that's awesome. And it kind of gives you ideas. But I feel like uh, probably my friends that I shoot with a lot kind of inspire me. I guess we sometimes we almost like feed off each other. It feels like, uh, yeah. like Matt Jackish, Blake Randall, we all shoot a lot. And, um, I, I think they're both insanely talented and way better than I am. So it's always, it's always fun to get out there and see what, see what they see and stuff like that. I mean, also it's cool in the discord channel, there's a inspiration channel, Yes, which is, you know, a lot of times people share like these, you know, there's always these accounts out there, like they have 500 followers and it's like mind blowing work. You're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like uh i don't know if i'm pronouncing his last name properly uh jimmy he uh one of the one of the chinese photographers it's just like holy right. crap <laughs> just incredible work and incredible places that no one goes to <laughs> right like in the middle of nowhere in china yeah yeah it's just amazing i, yeah. I love that yeah whenever I, love- I now whenever i see chinese photographers hanging out in colorado or utah <laughs> i'm gonna be like you guys got way cooler stuff over in China. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> they, they got the towering mountains and glaciers and they got their sand dunes. There's everything over there. <laughs> yeah, like you guys are you just, you have like super awesome aerial canyon stuff. You oh, can, man. Yeah, come on. It's crazy. <laughs> and it's way, it's a huge place too. China's massive. Yeah, yep. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. That's, um, people, seem to turn up some really awesome hidden gems and post them into that into that feed oh yeah I, I love that channel i love seeing what people post and you know the best part is it's not necessarily always photography uh right painters or sometimes it's films and stuff like that right 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 yeah and this is sort of hot yeah it's off topic <laughs> but there's a really good off topic um <laughs> feed in there as well which is fun because you talk about politics or whatever but it's always civil you know it's yep um i think it's because we have that shared bond of being nature photographers i guess i don't know yeah exactly and and like it's not like social media uh where it's i don't know there's something different when you're actually chatting with someone (laughs) right it's someone that oh they that's a real person yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah well, I think you've already mentioned some of, or at least one of these individuals, but who would you recommend for the podcast? Uh, yeah, so definitely recommend Blake Randall. I, I feel like he's probably, I think he's been recommended before, but he hasn't come on. Uh, he's a very, he's a man of few words, so I don't know if he'll want to come on, but I don't, I'll have to ask him for you. <laughs> okay, no, that, then, that's always uh, helpful. Yeah, and then Arthur Stanish, he's another Vancouver photographer just uh I don't think I've heard him on any podcast I mean I'm not I don't listen to a ton of podcasts so I could be wrong here but I mean he's not <laughs> been on mine he's uh, 
he's pretty low key uh, these days, but his work is insanely good. I have to look up to see if I've invited him. I have like a whole <laughs> spreadsheet because um, I know he's on my list already. Well, let's mm-hmm. just see real quick. Yeah, love his work, uh, especially from Northern Canada. He gets to get to the crazy places. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've asked him yet. So yeah, it'd be cool to have him on. Uh, I mean, he used to be active in the Discord. I, I don't know. Oh. I haven't seen him for a while, but okay. Blake pops in there occasionally too. Yeah. Well, Tristan, this has been a lot of fun, man. Yeah, seriously. Uh, thank you so much for having me on here. It's awesome. Of course. <laughs> Well, thanks to Tristan for joining me on the podcast this week. I had a great time. I'm looking forward to having more engaging conversations with you and others over on Discord. If you want to join up and chat with us over there, find a link in the show notes. If you enjoyed our conversation today, you can also listen to a long bonus episode on Patreon that we recorded all about NFTs and cryptocurrency. Ooh. Tristan is a longtime crypto enthusiast, but offers up some much needed perspective on the NFT craze. Just find a link in the show notes to support the show on Patreon to unlock this bonus chat. I also wanted to remind listeners that we have officially opened the Natural Landscape Photography Awards for year two. We've made a ton of improvements this year, and we've increased the prize pool to $17,500, and we've added several new awards that you can win. We have also increased the prize pool for our project submissions, and we have new sponsors in FLM tripods and F-Stop gear, so there's plenty of awesome things that you can win. You can upload and change your entries at any time before August 31st, so there's no risk in entering today, even if you don't know what images you want to enter. Even if you don't think you can win, there's always a chance your work will make it into our annual fine art book, and if it does, you'll get the book for free. Thank you to everyone who has supported this endeavor. We appreciate you a lot. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.